Well, we are in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. The Savior is born. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've given us in Scripture that we can know the narrative and we can know the things that happened. And as we know you, these kind of things are even so much more powerful and, and vivid and motivating to us. Lord, I pray this morning that I might be spirit-filled, Lord, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners, that the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you might have your way in our life. Lord, that we might be like the shepherds everywhere we go, just sharing what, what we know and what we've seen in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Tuesday, I want to take some time and just go over the whole narrative. Dr. Bookman says that we are now again in a fight for the Bible. Most Bible colleges and seminaries are going over. They want to say that they believe the Bible in all of its parts, but what they say, well, we, don't, we can unhook from the Old Testament. We don't need to have all the, all the points uh, that, that, that are laid out in Scripture, the miracles and, and all the little details. They're not important. And he says the problem with that is when you get away with all the details, you no longer have a narrative. And then you just have a myth, I guess. God gave us these instructions on purpose. For instance, the first verse, we'll not spend a lot of time here, but it talks about the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And then it says this was the first census taken while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Well, you look at the history books. I was reading uh, one of my favorites, Alfred Eidersheim. He was a, a fellow, who, a Jewish man that came to Christ in his university years, and he was contemporary with Charles Spurgeon. And at that time, they hadn't discovered this yet, and he had to just say, well, I don't know about this detail, but we just know that Luke was a guy that put the details down for a reason. Up to that point, they hadn't known that Cyrenius also had another governorship before this. So this was the first time he was governor. I guess he got to come and go. And, and uh, anyway, Luke puts these details down on purpose so we can kind of nail down when these things happened. And God got everybody involved. He got the whole Roman government involved in getting Joseph and Mary. Now, Joseph and Mary were young people. I think it's important to know that. They were young teenagers. John MacArthur says Mary was young as 13 years old. That was not unusual for them to have a marriage at that age. People didn't live that long in those days. So she's 13 or 14, and her husband is 14 or 15 also, young now, obviously, they grew up a little faster in those days because they had responsibility. And Joseph already knew how to do a trade by that time. But still very young. When you think about the pressures that are on these young people in this situation, and of all the people, we often see, you know, people like to do statues and paintings of Mary. And this is mature, a woman with lots of wisdom. No, this is a little girl. Highly favored, not because she was something different. She was obviously a godly young girl. But God just chose her. In his grace, he said, here's the one. And obviously, they were the perfect couple because what you see in Matthew is Joseph's genealogy. And what you see in Luke is Mary's genealogy. So you have the legal right to the throne with Joseph, even though he's not his physical father. And you have the blood right to the throne in Mary. They're both descendants of David. And we'll go over the whole story on, on Tuesday night, but before... They come together and married. She gets a visit from the angel, and she's pregnant. Now, 
you can share that message with people around you. Who's going to believe you in the culture? By the way, I've not any relations with man, not with Joseph, but I'm going to have a baby, and it's going to be God. Yeah, not real believable. See, the Jews didn't really have an understanding, even though the Bible said there in Isaiah 9.20 that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They were not relating that. That's why they crucified him later, because he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be God. But it was in their scripture. They just were not past. They didn't put the two together that Jesus would come and would be the God-man, 100% God, no less God, but also 100% human that he might take our place on the cross and be a sacrifice that God would accept. But nonetheless, this decree goes out, and Mary and Joseph make plans later in her pregnancy to go to Nazareth or down to Bethlehem, but they're not just going for the census. They're moving. Later, after they escape to Egypt, Joseph's going to go back to Bethlehem until God warns him in a dream, and he goes back to Nazareth instead, where they started. So they get all the way down there. They make this journey. And it says in verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, there were no hotels. This was a very small village. Uh, there probably weren't even those, those rough places, uh, inns in those days. But this word is the same word in the Greek that, G, that Jesus uses when he says, go and find a man in Jerusalem when they're preparing for the Last Supper. It's just as an upper room. And it just was a place that if you had a family of medium income, when you built your house, you also built this upper room, and it was for guests to come and visit uh, for special events like Passover. That's why the Lord spent Passover up there. But it wasn't that they got turned away from the hotel that was full they probably got turned away from their own family. Because if you think about this, weddings are a big deal. Wedding got planned, and then all of a sudden the bride comes up with child. Uh, it's not going to be a wedding. Joseph is giving instruction to Mary, Mary, and he does that obediently. And so now there's this cloud over the couple. And when they show up, there's a guest room, but we can't put this couple in the place of honor. Maybe somebody else is there for the same thing, and so they opt to have them there, and Mary and Joseph are put in the stable. Now, the stable was there, and there's a lot, a lot of trees. If you go to Bethlehem, we encourage you to do that if you get a chance to go, especially with the seminary, and have a teaching tour of, of Israel. It just gives you color. It's not that you're going to believe things anymore, but it gives color to the story, and I think it's about the narrative. And so... You see along the hills of Bethlehem, there are these little places. You can see them today where you would go to build your house. Instead of using timber, you would use stone. And so you'd just go mine the stone out of the side of the hill. What was left of that shelter would be your stable. And often what we would do is leave one of those stones that you were mining out attached and just hollow it out, and that would be the manger or the feeding place or watering place for the animals. And so she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him as Mothers do in those days and then laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What I want to talk about today are these shepherds. 
In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. What time of year was this? Well, if you go with the narrative that was given in Scripture in Matthew, Zechariah was the course of priests of Abijah, and these priests would take turns coming up to Jerusalem and serving the temple, and he did his course the 1st of October, so a year before Jesus was born, a year and a half, year and three or four months before Jesus was born, he was doing his course, so it's probably December. Now, Alfred Eidersheim believes that Jesus was born on December 25th. I don't know if that matters, but you say, well, why were the shepherds out in the fields with the flocks? Because these were probably sacrificial lambs for Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not that far away. Nevertheless, they're out keeping watch over their flocks. And they probably just down out in the field. They probably have them in a fold out in the field. But they're doing their responsibility. Now, shepherds were not the highest echelon. In fact, they were the lowest in culture. It wasn't anything wrong with being a shepherd. It just didn't take any education. Uh, later on, they're not allowed to testify because they look at them culture just looks at them as a low class of people but it's amazing that God sends this announcement to these people first you know when James is writing his epistle very practical epistle and he notices that people in the church when somebody comes in that has nice jewelry on they're dressed nice that the church tends to people in the church tend to oh hey once you sit here in front we want everybody to see what kind of people are coming to our church but a poor man comes in, and then he said they would say, why don't you just sit down here on the floor, sit here by my footstool right down here, and we don't need to really take notice of you. And James calls them on it. He said, isn't the rich that oppress you? They're the ones that give you all the problems. And hasn't God chosen the poor, rich in faith? What are you doing? You're turning things around. God sends the message to the shepherds. And Jesus is called what? The good shepherd. We're his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. So in the same region between Jerusalem and Bethlehem someplace, or someplace close to Bethlehem, they were keeping watch. They were just doing their job. It was just a night like any other night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Now in the Old Testament... God ordained that they have feasts celebrating deliverances and providences that when he had taken care of Israel. And so they would sit around and, for instance, Passover. And they would stand, the Bible said, eating their unleavened bread, ready to go. And you can go to a Seder today. I like going to a Christian Seder. And, and they go through what Jews go through in the Passover. Of course, we have the new covenant. We have the new Passover in Christ that he instituted for us. But when they practiced that, it was so they would remember. And there were stones around Israel and piles of stones here, pile of stones there, so that the children would say, Dad, what's with that pile of rocks out in the middle of the river? What's that pile of rocks right there? And he said, then you'll tell them the story of God's deliverance, of God's providence. And we do the same thing for Christmas, don't we? Often, we'll have a Christmas program, we'll have children Somebody will be Mary, somebody Joseph, get a doll, put it in the manger, right? And then we'll have the angels come. The angels are all cute little girls. You know, some of my granddaughters have been angels. And they come up, and sometimes the angels sing. And while I think it's good that we remember the story, I think so often what's left out is the very narrative that we're looking at. That it was a, it was a night, 
like any other night, and all of a sudden an angel is standing before them. Now, whenever an angel comes with a gracious purpose, I checked this out myself, I heard it from John MacArthur, and there's always, the first thing that happens is there's fear, tremendous fear, and then there's comfort from the angel, don't be afraid. Then there's a message, and then there's a sign given. They didn't show up for no reason. Now, when the angel shows up, to roll the stone away after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not there for a gracious purpose for the soldiers. He's there to give Mary a message, and he gives her that message, and he gives her a sign, right? But for those hardened Roman soldiers, the angel shows up, the, the angel shows up and they fall like dead men. They go into a dead faint. They are, they are paralyzed in their fear. They hit the ground. And they can't move. It's not like they're not tough enough. That's the power of angels. So when angel shows up, you know, I've seen different shows, you know, and they're kind of cute. We watched one last night. The angel comes and they do their thing, kind of lights come around, usually a nice blonde girl with wings. And, and people just go, wow, that's not an angel. When angel shows up, there is terror because it's unusual. And then the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone round about him. The Shekinah glory of God was around this angel. When the Shekinah glory of God shows up, you hit the ground. In the King James, it says, they were sore afraid. They were paralyzed. They were terrorized. But the angel says, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy, which are for all the people, all the people. I don't know what his voice sounded like. When Jesus speaks in the book of Revelation, John said it was powerful enough. It sounded like a great mighty waterfall. And yet it was so distinct, it was like the piercings of a trumpet. You could hear every single word was clear. I think these guys were just paralyzed. Whether some were on the ground, some, some probably so paralyzed, they just took the whole thing and somehow gave us, somebody gave us the account of what happened and what it looked like. And he said, I have great tidings for you. Now, in Revelation, the Bible says there's going to be some from every tribe, tongue, and nation group. This message is for everyone, for everyone, for all nations, not just Israel. God intended Israel to be a nation. The whole world would come by and hear about the God they worshiped. Instead, by the time Jesus shows up, Isaiah prophesied it's going to be a dark, dark time. And Jesus is going to be a great light that shines in the darkness because they're just serving themselves. There's just a remnant of believers. He said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which for all the people, for today in Bethlehem, there has been born for you, I want to look at these words, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Now, in our culture today, in evangelical culture, the word saved is not a, a popular word anymore. But it's an important word. What was Jesus a savior of? You read some books today and say, well, he came to give you your best life ever. He came to help you be successful and be the person that God intended you to be. Maybe God came to deliver you from your addictions 
Or God came to give you your self-assurance and your self-respect and confidence. God came to give you fulfillment that you might be everything that God intended you to be. But that's not the Savior. Everybody doesn't need the same things. Jesus came because every single human being needs a Savior from their sin. When Paul was kind of re-encapsulating the gospel as he was teaching the people in Corinth because they drifted, they'd forgotten. He said, let me just tell you again, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus Christ came He died on the cross for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. That's how he's the savior. When when John announces him at his baptism, and the next day he sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to this world to be the perfect sacrifice, to take our place. He came to die. He lives the 33 years and fulfills scripture that we might see he's the only one. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the one. He fulfills every prophecy. He's examined by everyone and even the the Gentile world. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. He's the perfect Lamb of God that came to be the Savior of the world. And what gets lost in all the Christmas stuff is this part. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to bring national peace. There's only going to be peace when he finally rules. He came to be the Savior. And he gives this message first to these shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Christ is just Messiah. It just means anointed one. What was he anointed to be? Well, he was anointed to be king. Over and over in this narrative, you find the city of David, Joseph, the son of David, and then lineage, you see they're both children of David. David was promised that an heir from his throne would be the one that would come. He's the anointed one, but he's not just anointed to be king. He's also anointed to be our priest. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. He is our priest. He's the one that offers himself the perfect sacrifice, then rises from the dead, offers his blood to the Father. And stands as our advocate when we're accused by Satan. He's our priest. He's also a prophet. There's been no preacher like Jesus that ever came to the earth to teach the word of God. To preach salvation. To preach the gospel of the kingdom. He was anointed prophet, priest, and king. He's the anointed one. But there are a lot of religions that will talk about him being a special person But only Christianity has this one common thread, that Jesus is Lord. He's Christ the Lord. What was understood by that is that he is God. John, the Apostle John, does not give us a story of his birth, but he starts right there. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That the God-man, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, who becomes Jesus at birth, was the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And then Paul goes on to say in Colossians that he holds all things together by his power. The reason the world doesn't just fly apart and atoms start uh, splitting and we just burn up is because Jesus holds them together. One day he's going to take his hands off that. And Peter said, the world's going to pass away with a great noise and a fervent heat. So all you that are worried about global warming, it's coming, but not the way they say it is. It's coming. And judgment. But the problem is not too many cars. The problem is too much sin. Jesus came to deal with that. We have a lot of religions like to pass themselves off as Christian. The Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Moonies, liberal Christianity. They have one thing in common. They say Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't God. And yet they want to count just like you are. No, they're not. If they don't believe Jesus is God, if he's not Lord, they're not Christian. This is the message. There's one who's born who is Christ, the Lord, the God-man. Then he said, this will be a sign unto you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. Now, the sign wasn't that the baby was wrapped in cloths. All babies that were taken care of were wrapped this way. It was just what a loving mother did. And in those days, they thought, well, it kept the baby secure after being in the womb, kept them feeling secure. A lot of moms do that now. All my, my daughter-in-laws do that. Now I think, well, they look hot, but they, you know, they wrap them up real tight like that. In those days, they thought it also kept their, their limbs from being crooked, wrapped them really straight, they could grow. But that's what a loving mom did in those days. They wrapped them in cloths. The lying in the manger part, that's a sign. That's a sign, especially in Hebrew culture. Babies are not born in stables. You don't put them in a manger for their bed. That's for animals. That's a sign. So he gives them information. He teaches them. Then he gives them this sign. And just like he showed up suddenly, it says suddenly it was with the angel. Now, in our little uh, uh, programs that we do, Christmas programs, or the things you've seen on TV, uh, sometimes they'll put some angels up here singing a little song. You know, angels you have heard in high. Or, or sometimes uh, you'll have little angels will sing a song. But they're so cute. That's not what's going on here. And I think unless we really look at what the narrative says, we miss the power of what's going on in this passage, what these what these poor shepherds experienced. There was one angel terrified them. Now it says he was surrounded, not up in the sky, distant someplace, right there with them. Suddenly it was with the angel. The angel stood before them. Now there's a multitude of the heavenly host. What is that? That's the armies of God. A multitude of God's armies are standing before. How many is that? I don't know how many angels there are. John said in Revelation there were 
Myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, 100 million. So what if there's just a little bit and there's only a million angels? And the Bible doesn't, said, doesn't say they sang. I'm sure if angels sing, it sounds beautiful, but it didn't say they sang. They did something more powerful. I think they shouted God's word. They shouted God's message. Now, angel doesn't have to work too hard to be able to do that because they're supernatural. One of the things that I enjoyed being in the infantry, there was some of the things I enjoyed and enjoy all of it. One of the things I enjoyed was when we would run and all of us would sing and chant the same thing together. There's something very powerful about that. We always chant nice things. But we chanted together, and it's a powerful sound. All those men, you get a battalion of men running down the road and singing things like, this will date me. Uh, I want to be an airborne ranger. I want to live a life of danger. I want to go to Vietnam, right? That's a long time ago. The armies of the Lord showed up surrounding these people. I think surrounding the hills. And they shouted glory to God in the highest. Now, if these guys were afraid before, wow. It impacted them the rest of their life. The message of God had spoken to them. Glory to God in the highest. I think God, I think these angels, angels, their whole purpose is to worship God. That's what they do all the time in heaven. The Bible says they say, holy, holy, holy. There's some angels. That's all they say. Johnny Erickson Todd explained that, I think, very well to us one time. We were at a pastor's conference. She said, you know, you think that might sound boring, but he says, she said, I think what, the, what these angels are doing, they're looking at God, and they're seeing one part of God, and they turn away, and they say, who's like him? That's what holy, holy, holy is. There's nothing like that. They look back again, and they see more. Because we will never plumb the beauty and the wisdom and the power of our God, though we live with him for all eternity. And I think the thought these angels had that they get to announce the birth of the Savior. I think they shouted. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men, it says in the King James. Here in the New American Standard, it says, peace on earth with whom he is pleased. So you get the idea that maybe if you work hard enough, you can please God and you can have God's peace. But that's not actually what he's saying. God gives peace with whom it is his pleasure to give it to them. Now he said in one that this message is for all nations. It is for all nations. And the Bible says, whosoever will may come. But these shepherds might have been asking themselves after it all got done, why would God choose us? I think that's the same question that any believer asks himself when you Really consider the, the value, the tremendous blessing of your salvation. Why would God ever choose me? Well, the answer is his amazing grace. None of us deserve it. He wasn't saying, I'm bringing national peace to everybody that wants it. 
No, we get to have peace in spite of everything that's going on. The peace that we have as believers is in spite of the turmoil of nations. We have the supernatural, overwhelming, surpassing peace of God because he was pleased to give it to you. What did you have to do? Simply receive it. And then as suddenly as they were there, they were gone. And I think the, the, the silence was probably as deafening as the noise they just experienced. And I don't know how long they stood there. I know if it was you or I, we'd probably just be dazed. Who knows for how long? And then somebody probably said to the other guy, did you see that? Said, I think everybody in, in, in Israel saw that, right? And what was their response? This is how you know they're believers. They said, let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has brought to pass. I want to see this, what God has done. That's how you know they're believers. And so it says, they came in a great hurry. They were in a hurry. What happened to sheep? I don't think they cared. If they're in a fold, they can leave them in the fold. But who's going to stay there? Oh, why don't you stay? We'll go tell you about it. Uh, No, 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 no. No, we all got the message. We're all going. Sheep will be fine. And they came in a hurry. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Can you imagine, look at this baby. This baby looked like any other baby. The Bible prophesied there's no beauty about him that you would desire him, that he would stand out in a crowd. Looks like a human being. But they knew who he was. He was the God of the universe, come in human flesh to teenagers in a stable. No other king of Israel ever had this experience being born. Jesus, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that he became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, for us. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. I can't imagine looking down on this stone major and thinking, wow, all that was about this. Hmm, looks like a baby. But they didn't stop there. By this time, it's obvious other people have heard. Now, we see the, the manger scenes. You some wise men show up on camels. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday. They probably weren't on camels. There wasn't three of them. There was a lot of them. They came as a whole army when they came, but they didn't come to the stable. The Bible says in Matthew, they came to the house that he was staying. So somebody finally wised up and said, let's get the baby in the house, right? At this night, this first night, people are starting to hear. And it probably doesn't take Uncle Reuben too long to get the message from his wife. The baby's not staying in the manger. I don't think they stayed there very long. But people are coming because it says... When they had seen this, when they came and they saw the baby, they made the statement which had been told them about this child. Do you guys know who this is? They see him. They're probably quiet for a little while. I think people are probably starting to come around, and they say, this is Christ the Lord. And it says there, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Why? Because this is huge. This is just a baby. When you see manger scenes painted, you know, there's a little halo, a little glow, even around Mary and Joseph. No, just a couple of teenagers. 
with a baby. The people wondered, could this be true? But Mary treasured these things. Why? Because there's a cloud over her life. She knows who she is. She knows who this is. She knows that Joseph and her have been pure. The Bible says they will be pure until after the baby's born. Then they're going to have probably six other children. They're going to have a normal marriage relationship. Joseph's going to grow, Jesus is going to grow up with her brothers and sisters. And I don't know what it's like to grow with somebody that doesn't ever do anything wrong. But they don't become believers until after he rises from the dead. And when the people in Nazareth say, what? That's just the carpenter's son. We know who he is. But there's a cloud over her life. Even in Jesus' ministry, they say, we weren't born of fornication. And she's probably not able to say the things the shepherd says, but she hears them and she treasures them. Somebody else knows. Somebody else knows. Dr. Bookman tells us that the first marriage in Cana, that's what Mary's about. Just show them who you are. Remove the cloud. And what does he say? Not yet. Not yet. So Mary treasures these things and ponders them in her heart. Verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just is that have been told them they are worshipers the rest of their life. You never get over that. You know what? What they experienced in power is no different what you experienced in your salvation. The Bible says so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Just as when God said, let there be light, just as when dark, God spoke light into darkness, he has shown the glory of of God and the face of Christ into your life. That's the power of God. That's salvation. It's not just you getting smart enough and getting some facts. It's the glory of God showing your heart. That's what turned the light on when you said, oh, I believe that. And what's the response to believing? Submitting to the gospel, receiving Christ as your Savior, and worshiping him with your life. I think these shepherds, everywhere they went the rest of their life. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time we were out? Yeah, yeah, we heard that before. We heard that before. They never got over it. Salvation is something we ought to never get over. Never get over it. We think sometimes this evangelism is knowing a little phrase. Know the Romans road. Know a little thing you show to people here. Say this and then you can get saved. But Paul challenged some people in Ephesus that, you know, you guys got the doctrine down right. Or, or I mean, John did in Revelation. But you've left your first love. You've left your first love. We've got to never get over the joy of our salvation because that's what's contagious. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for giving us your word. You've given us such detail in the story. It's so powerful when we just look at the words that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, humbling yourself, becoming poor, that you might make us rich. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be just reflecting your joy and your grace to those that are still in darkness, taking advantage of this time of year especially to tell people about Jesus. And Lord, when they get saved, we'll give you all the glory because it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.